Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I witnessed an attempted murder at Rutledge Falls in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Arrived to the short hike and parked in the parking lot where my girlfriend at the time remarked how unusual it was to see another car there, much less one from out of state, in tags. It was a green Jeep. Grand Cherokee, the boxy type from the early 2000s. Up ahead of us and traveling towards us was a man, about five feet nine or so in his fifties. White, gray hair, wearing a light jacket with a collar. He saw us and immediately flipped his collar up and hid his face under the brim of his hat. I remember thinking how strange his behavior was. The hike was maybe a tenth of a mile. The site was the waterfall, and you could see it from the road if it weren't for the line of trees and brush in front of the cliff leading down. As we approached and the man left, there was a rustling in the base of that line of brush. I squinted and thought I made out some kind of small animal. 
When I got closer, I saw it was a woman's head and shoulders grasping at a few small bush stumps to keep from falling off the cliff. It's a girl, I exclaimed, and she immediately lost her grip, looked over the edge and saw the last second of what I imagined was a very painful fall. Her legs were over her head and she was tumbling down the slanted cliff, roughly 40 feet down. This isn't a book and nobody's gonna read this, so I'll cut to the chase. Me and my buddy climbed down the cliff, carried her back up and waited for the cops. She came to as we finished giving our account of the events and told us the last thing she remembered. She was in a bar in Chicago talking to a nice old man she had just met. And then she came to at the cliff where he had his hands around her throat. She said he shoved her off the cliff when we pulled up. Fully expected to be in court one day describing this to someone, but 13 years later. Last October, I was in California for roughly 11 days after my brother's wedding in San Diego. I just wanted to drive around the state and visit California places that had captured my imagination over the years. And I loved driving almost as much as I loved cars. I don't necessarily believe in Sasquatch, but I would never discount someone else's experience, especially if I wasn't there. So off I went. Clipper Mills is in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, about 70 miles northeast of Sacramento. Very near that dam was in the danger of failing last year, pretty remote. So after Bodega Bay, I had to cross the state for my destination, arriving near Sacramento in time for a late dinner. So it's after dark when I set out on the final leg, very dark. It takes me a good while on all the twisty turning roads to find my way there. I wanted to get to the exact spot the person who posted the video parked that night. He wouldn't say in his video, so I poked around YouTube comment sections in related videos and found out more or less about this spot. Around 11 p.m., I pulled my rented Camry well off the dark two-lane road to avoid any issues with the very sparse traffic. I saw no one whatsoever, so I sat in the darkened interior, listening, allowing my eyes to dark adapt for about 20 minutes. I heard nothing but assorted insects as I sat there, saw nothing move at all. Eventually, not wanting to activate the car's interior lighting, I crawled out of the driver's side window into the black night, armed with my cell, with no service. A handheld GPS to find my way back should I get lost in the dark, and a red flashlight I use with my telescope. I stand there, right by that car window, for a solid two minutes before I could screw up the courage to move away from my Camry. Eventually, I walk up the road, still not hearing anything but bugs. Suddenly, without conscious decision to do so, I fear right and head up into the woods. My feet are crunching pine needles now into my mind. I sound like Bigfoot stomping around myself. After what was about 20 minutes, I stopped to listen and added to the insects. I hear this faint screeching sound far off in the blackness, and it doesn't sound insect. Like at all. Yeah, and he has more consciousness to it. 
Then now, also thoroughly dark adapted, my mind is whispering that it sounds like a person in distress or a large primate. I remain still. I hear something small scurrying around in the underbrush as well, followed a minute later by the same forlorn, sounding wail, but now closer. Time to return to the car. As I'm walking back to the car, I... I hear this spooky sound every 20 to 30 seconds, and now it is coming from behind me and in front of me. It seems to have a vocabulary of some sort to me now. Different vocalizations, some guttural, some high-pitched, and everywhere in between. My mind is having fun just messing with me now. I was never so happy to see a camera in all my life. I started it up before my ass was in the seat, I think, and half expected to see scores of red eyeballs glowing at me in the headlights from the dark forest in front of me. Now, spooked, my mind telling me some homicidal axe wielding lunatic was nipping at my heels. I went back the way I came at much quicker pace than I had arrived. Out of nowhere, right in front of me, this black lab runs out of the woods on one side of the road and into the woods on the other. I barely missed crushing him. That scared the out of me right there. I slowed down a bit and the thought of nearly mowing down an innocent mutt overcoming my mind. Some hour down the road towards Sacramento is when I noticed I had cell service again. I opened my XPD app and found a nearby hotel for the night. Once safely enclosed in said hotel room, I began scouring the internet on my iPad and came to the conclusion that what I heard was a barred owl or a western screech owl. Can never be a hundred percent sure, I suppose. Very creepy, though. And I'm done with wandering alone in the woods at night, I think. My name is Ray, and I find myself on a hunting trip with my dad in the dense woods near Texas. We have set our sights on hunting elk, hoping to test our skills and bring home a prize trophy. Little did we know that this expedition would lead us to an encounter beyond our wildest imaginations. As we venture deeper into the wilderness, the forest surrounds us like an ancient and untamed realm. The air is crisp, carrying the scent of pine and earth, and the sounds of nature envelop us. The sun filters through the canopy, casting an ethereal glow upon the towering trees that stretch towards the heavens. It is on one fateful occasion that our peaceful hunting excursion takes a harrowing turn. As we move through a clearing, our eyes widen in astonishment and fear. Standing before us is an unknown predator, a creature that defies all logic and comprehension. It towers over us, surpassing the height of our pickup truck by several feet. Its scuttled form is enveloped by an inky blackness, contrasting sharply with the white of its bones. Long arms, seemingly half-extended, hang at its sides, almost as if it is taunting us, daring us to make a move. The creature's presence is undeniably three-dimensional, 
occupying space with an eerie corporeality. It stands tall, its elongated arms sending shivers down our spines. It exudes an aura of darkness as if light itself is absorbed into its form, leaving nothing to reflect. Its face, a haunting sight, bears the hollow sockets of a deer's skull, accentuating the stark contrast between life and death. As fear and awe grip me, my dad acts with a mix of determination and desperation. Without a second thought, he raises his rifle and takes aim at the creature. The shot rings out the echo reverberating through the silent forest, but to our disbelief, the bullet passes through the creature as if it were nothing more than a specter. A chilling smile forms on its skeletal visage, mocking our feeble attempt to confront it. In an instant, the creature vanishes, dissolving into the shadows that embrace the trees. Confusion and terror grip me, and I turn to my father, seeking answers to the enigma that is unfolded before us. Yet I am met with a sight that chills me to the core. My dad, usually a bastion of strength, stands frozen and pale, his eyes filled with disbelief. He cannot bring himself to acknowledge what we have witnessed, and in an unspoken agreement settles between us to bury this encounter deep within our souls. We return home, the weight of the unknown hanging heavy upon us. Dad remains silent, never uttering a word about the creature we saw in those haunted woods. It becomes a secret locked away in the depths of our minds, a reminder that there are mysteries in this world beyond our comprehension. And as we continue our lives, we can only wonder what lies hidden among the trees forever elusive and beyond our reach. I was 12 years old while I was visiting my friend Max at his house. I hadn't seen him for a year because we went to different school. Max lived on a rural piece of land. They had a big house his parents made, a field then. If you followed a road for a bit, you'd arrive at a patch of dense Oregon woods. I would often go outside at home, but I was never smart enough to wear hiking boots, so I always wore tall rubber boots. Anyways, we decided we would follow the road for a bit and cut into the woods and make a fort. So we got going and we found a spot to cut into the woods by some construction vehicles. Now, this wasn't on his property, so there was a lot of stuff related to development and deforestation. So, we were going to cut into the woods when one of us saw it. There was a pile of maybe 20 cow skulls and a good amount of coarse cans. We marked this as odd, built our fort in the woods, and walked back to the house for some homemade cheese and crackers. I was good friends with my neighbor and his family when I was a teenager. My neighbor was a youth, pastor of a local church. Apparently someone at the church decided to do a backpacking trip in Yosemite National Park. My neighbor had never been backpacking before and he knew I was an avid backpacker and hiker. So he basically begged me to go with him. I agreed and met his youth group, geez, what a bunch of misfits. These kids ranging from 14, 17, I was 18 at the time and they were poorly behaved. Some had 
bad attitudes, and one in particular bragged long and loud about how he'd wrestle a bear. We hiked up the Mist Trail into Little Yosemite Valley, which is on the backside of Half Dome. We spent the day hiking in some really nice territory. I didn't much care for my group, but the 19-year-old five-feet female trail guide was friendly, so it wasn't a total loss. The campsite at LYV is backpackers only, so the site is basically a forested area with a few felled trees, which act as markers for the different campsites. It was summer and fair weather, so we didn't bring tents, sleeping out on tarps and sleeping bags. Hey, as I was trying to bed down and go to sleep, a couple of the punks in the group thought it was funny to lob small sticks and stones at me. I asked them to stop, but these punks just laughed and kept it up. It's sufficiently pissed me off that I vowed to get even. I waited until the chatter died off and the sounds of deep sleep breathing grew around me. The forested campground was pitch black on a new moon night. No campfires allowed and quiet all around. The only differentiation between blackness of surroundings was the velvety purple of the night sky blazing with millions of stars. I crept out of my sleeping bag and crawled on my hands and knees, carefully brushing the forest floor in front of me, clear of needles and twigs, which there was a lot so that as I moved, I wouldn't make any sounds. I crawled over to the two punks who threw stones at me and found their hiking boots and tossed their boots off into the bushes. Then crawled back to my sleeping bag silently and went to sleep with a grin on my face. Sleep came quickly after that. I snapped awake sometime later, still pitch black inky darkness all around, and everything is completely, totally, eerily silent. I happened to be laying on my side when I woke. And I woke, completely, no middle groggy ground, just snapped awake from a dead sleep. I could see a narrow sliver of velvet night sky between the trunks of trees, about five, six feet off the ground. Right at that moment, a shadow broke the bottom edge of that sliver of night sky. My breathing froze and my heartbeat ratcheted up quickly. I lay still. Totally awake, staring wide awake into the darkness, straining with all my senses, listening. Nothing. Silence. I told myself it must have been an owl gliding through the darkness on silent wings and closed my eyes and slowed my breathing, trying to go back to sleep. I start to drowse off again when all of a sudden one of the backpacks in the line of backpacks that were set against the fallen marker log of our campsite starts to jingle. Well, the zippers started jingling. I froze again, trying to figure out what the heck would make those zippers jingle as no other backpack zippers were jingling. Right then, our 19-year-old five-feet trail guide flicks on her flashlight. Six inches away from a brown bear's face, the bear had chomped onto the backpack and was doing a full reverse tug trying to make off with it, but the dead log had snapped limbs, and by pulling the bag, it had torn the nylon and hopelessly snagged it. It took a moment to register. There's a bear in camp. Six feet to my left, our trail guide starts yelling at it and hitting it in the face with small stones. She scooped up off the forest floor. Yeah, bear. Yeah. 
This woke up the whole camp pretty quick and someone started blowing one of those ultrasonic whistles. The bear gave up and sprinted out of camp, dodging between tents, shaking its head like it had bees in its ears. It didn't come back. Turns out one of the punks who had been throwing stones at me while I was trying to go to sleep left a bag of trail mix in his backpack. I was hunting. I shot a deer. Late evening hunt, track till dark, went to get help. I brought my brother and hunting partner in on the recovery or tracking of the buck. We walked in about 8 p.m., got down to Never Go Creek. About 1.30, 2 a.m., then up the ridge about 2.30. It was quiet. A light snow fell and dark. We had a good lantern bright out to 50 feet. My brother said, shush, listen, you hear that. It's your deer. I can hear it. It sounds like it's still alive. I shot the buck with an arrow. A killing shot and believed it to have been gone hours ago. My brother said he could hear the deer gasping for air or gargling. I listen. Yet it sounded like a light wolfing growling sound. It became louder as we got closer. I now could hear it pretty well and was convinced it could possibly be the deer dying bummer. I asked my brother to hold the lantern up high. He was nervous about going down to the animal, so he stayed with my friend. I thought I would run quickly down to the sound I thought was the deer and dip it with my hunting knife. I made it to the end of the lamp's light. The darkness erupted in the closest encounter with an unidentified animal, screaming low to high pitch. Very loudly, I turned around and ran for my life. I made it to my brother and friend clutching them, and them me. What is that? I said. The animal continued to whoop, then scream at us. It circled around and above us. It screamed for a good five minutes while we ran for your lives. We came out of the drainage around 5 a.m. in the morning. We'd gotten lost for a short time. For of all fear we had, I was sure we were goners. Till this day, I'm afraid and can't get out into any mountains for fear of that creature. Possibly the Bigfoot. I've hunted, fished, hiked, camped, was a logger, and never in 20 years ever experienced anything like this. Not an elk, not a lion, not an owl. I grew up on the countryside right next to a national park frequently visited by nature lovers and bird enthusiasts. It was the kind of park where you're not really allowed to bike or ride horses, only walk or run, but ten-year-old me felt it was a stupid rule and did so anyway because the trails were perfect for it. I knew fully well that I wasn't supposed to do that and was caught a few times, but nothing much came of it apart from a half-hearted don't-do-it-again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I did, of course, until one day something frightening happened that made me stop. My family were horse breeders, and I would often take on of the horses for a ride, usually in the Forbidden Park. This day, very early morning, the first day of the summer holiday, it was beautiful outdoors. Misty and foggy, yet a sky that promised a sunny day ahead. Since it was so early before six o'clock, I knew there wouldn't be anyone on the trail to see me, so I let the horse set off full speed along the trail. I only slowed down on the part of the trail that got a steep on one side, leading down to the river because the thought of one step too close to the edge was too much, even for a kid with next to non-existing risk assessment skills. Suddenly the horse came to a halt and refused to take another step. I grew up with horses all my life and knew that that usually indicates that you need to investigate. Is there something with the hooves? Did the horse spot something that spooked it? The hooves were fine, but the horse didn't move an inch. That's when I saw it. Someone had set up a trap. A thin, sharp metal wire across the trail in perfect neck. Height for an adult. I stopped and looked around, but didn't see anyone. The wire was well attached to two trees and impossible for me to remove. So I led the horse around it, and to do so, I had to walk a bit up into the wooden area on the side of the trail. That is when I heard the singing. There is a song called Hedge Tom Tegubber, and it was that melody. But the lyrics were different and sung in a muffled, sniggering voice. Today, I only remember parts of it, but translated it would have been something like, Hey, all you runners, come here passing. Let the lifeblood pour out. I, as silently as I could and with my heart in my throat, backed away, got up on the horse and hurried back the way I came as fast as I could. I knew I had to tell someone about it, but at the same time wanted to avoid admitting to riding a huge and very forbidden horse on those protected trails. So now I had a problem. The old stories about a mad old man living in the shed in the woods, a shed that was one a cottage for the local hunter came back to me as I hung on the horse for dear life. I got home and told my older brother what had happened, and he went back there with me in tow. We found the wire trap, and after a while of searching, we also found a spear-like pole in the ground, right on the spot where you'd land if you came running and jumped over the fallen tree on the trial. That's when we called police. The area was searched and several similar traps found, but no sight of the old man. The following summer, though, there were big news in the local paper about spear-like poles being found right under the water surface, directly under that little tower you're supposed to die from at the lake. And black garage bags filled with big rocks were found on the narrow bridge crossing the river so that if a car had hit it, risk is it would have gone off the road and into the water.
So last year, I went backpacking in the central Sierras with a friend. We were about to set up camp in a spot just a few feet off trail. I ventured further away from the trail on this rocky area to get a better view of the lake. If you look close enough, there was a trail, not on any map, but a clear trail nonetheless that looked like it led to the base of a peak, which is known for climbing. I started following it and I came across the most peculiar camp setup. It wasn't like any backpacking setup I'd ever seen. There were a couple of backpacking tents, but there was also those white foldable tables, a canopy tent, and a grill. A full-on cabinet-style backyard grill. Clearly heavy equipment that requires at least two people to carry each item. The nearest road was six miles away, and the only way up to that spot was foot or horse. How the hell did they manage to haul that all that stuff up there? I didn't see anyone. I saw all that stuff. Turned around and let my friend know. She went up to check it out, but she didn't see anything. Either she didn't walk down the trail far enough, or my mind completely made that up. Maybe the altitude sun exposure got to me. Lol, either way, I didn't feel safe staying there, so we camped somewhere else. Anyone know how that stuff could gotten up there? Growing up in a small town 45 minutes outside Tulsa, life was quiet and simple. There were only two stores and no stoplights in the entire town. Being part of the eighth grade football team was one of the few things that brought excitement to my life. One Friday night after an away football game, we were on our way back home. It was around midnight and the bus had just reached the stretch of road surrounded by sod farms as far as the eye could see. There were no trees or buildings, just flat, grassy fields that seemed to go on forever. Most of my teammates had already drifted off to sleep, exhausted from the game. As I stared out of the window into the darkness, something strange happened. A light suddenly came on above us, casting a brilliant glow over the entire landscape. It was a clean white light, similar to LAD, even though this was the mid-90s. It was so bright that it made everything outside look like daytime. The light went on and off in a pattern, illuminating everything around us for one second and then disappearing for two seconds. This sequence repeated itself three times. I was amazed by the sight as it allowed me to see in every direction as if it were the middle of the day. I glanced around the bus trying to gauge if any of my teammates had witnessed the same phenomenon. A few of them had stirred from their sleep, rubbing their eyes in disbelief. We exchanged looks of astonishment, wondering what could have caused such a bizarre occurrence. When the bus finally pulled into the school parking lot, my teammates and I couldn't stop talking about the mysterious light. We debated whether it could have been some kind of experimental aircraft or perhaps even a UFO. The experience sparked a curiosity within us that led us, that lasted for years. As time went on, we all went our separate ways, but the memory of that night never faded. Whenever I returned to my hometown and passed by those sod farms, I couldn't help but look up at the sky and think about that incredible light that turned night into day. I still remember that day vividly. 
I had just pulled out of work and was heading home when a black jeep screeched up beside me. The driver was screaming obscenities at me and I had no idea what was going on. I pulled over and put my vehicle between us just in case. The man got out of his jeep and started screaming at me, accusing me of following him all over town and claiming that he knew I was a cop. I tried to explain that he had the wrong person, but he didn't want to listen. He kept getting closer and closer, and I could see that his pupils were dilated to an alarming degree. <laughs> I was getting ready to defend myself when he suddenly stood up straight and turned away from me, walking stiffly back to his jeep. He continued to scream at me over his shoulder as he drove away. I was shaken up by the encounter and couldn't stop thinking about how close I had come to having to use my weapon. It was a scary reminder of the dangers of my job as a park ranger. I reported the incident to my supervisor, but there wasn't much they could do without more information. I just hoped that I would never have to encounter that man again, and that no one else would have to go through what I did that day. My name is Mike Halloran, a hard-boiled detective from the city. I've solved more crimes than I can count, seen more things than most men would care to, but none of it prepared me for the quaint Midwestern town of Maple Ridge. Maple Ridge was a place where everyone knew everyone, and an eerie hush descended on it after sundown. But a series of bizarre disappearances had thrust this quiet town into the spotlight. Unexplained disappearances of people of color had me packing up my city life and heading straight into the heartland. And as if that wasn't strange enough, each disappearance was preceded by a blackout that plunged the whole town into darkness. The night I arrived, I was welcomed by an eerie spectacle, strange lights darting in the sky. As I watched, the lights vanished and a familiar darkness spread across the town. Then, everything went blank. When I woke up, I was miles away from my initial location and another person had disappeared. My investigation led me on a twisted path. Every lead, every piece of evidence pointed towards something out of this world. Something I never believed in, alien abductions. The evidence was there, but convincing my skeptical team was another story. They laughed it off, brushed it aside, until one by one they too started disappearing. As the team dwindled, the truth unraveled itself in a way I couldn't have imagined. It wasn't aliens, but it was far from normal. The government was orchestrating these alien abductions. They were abducting people for some sickening experiment. I was furious disgusted. I told them I'd expose their cruel games, bring their secrets to light. But they beat me to it. Before I could make a move, I found myself locked away, cut off from the world. They thought they could silence me. They thought they could bury the truth. They were wrong. They've locked away the man. But the truth? The truth is out there waiting to be discovered. I may be locked up, but I won't stop fighting, because the truth, the truth never stays hidden for long. 
Behind the iron bars of my confinement, I could only watch as the world carried on, oblivious to the grim truth I'd unearthed. But I knew I couldn't sit idly by, not while the government played God using innocent lives for their twisted experiments. My captors, smug in their belief that they had secured their secrets, were complacent. I, on the other hand, had spent years outsmarting the cleverest of criminals, and I wasn't about to be outdone. The concrete walls and steel bars were a challenge, but not an impossible one. Day by day, I started formulating a plan. The guards were punctual to a fault. KCTV cameras had a blind spot, and the evening meals came without fail at 7 p.m. sharp. There was a pattern, a rhythm I could exploit. I was careful, patient. Time was a luxury I had, and I wasn't about to squander it. My chance came one rainy evening. A guard, new and inexperienced, left his post a minute too early, creating a lapse in their otherwise meticulous routine. I seized the opportunity. Using a makeshift tool I had been secretly working on, I unlocked my cell and slipped into the CTV's blind spot. I moved through the sterile corridors, my heart pounding. It felt good to be back in the field, even if the circumstances were dire. Using the guard's predictable patterns to my advantage, I made my way to the control room. Once inside, I quickly disabled the alarms and surveillance cameras. My years on the force had made me adept at navigating such systems. I was in and out in minutes, leaving no trace of my presence. With the alarms and cameras down, I had a small window of opportunity. I found the files I needed, evidence of the government's horrific experiments, and made a dash for the exit. The rain was pouring down when I merged into the cold night. The facility was in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by miles of barren land. But I didn't mind the isolation. I was free, and I had the proof to bring them down. My fight isn't over yet. I need to get these documents to the public, let them see the truth hidden beneath the cover of alien abductions. I may be a fugitive now on the run from the very institution I once served, but I won't rest until the truth is out there. I am Mike Halloran, and I'm just getting started. I'm a 62-year-old man who has seen lots of things in my life. My mother and my grandmother were Cree natives. My mother told me one day a story from her grandmother about the Wendigo and how it related to our people. She would always warn me to beware of the Wendigo. I joined the Canadian Armed Forces when I came of age. My folks drove me to the gate to walk into my new life. My mom told me I am proud of you, my son. I'm sure you will do well. Just be careful when you're out in the wild. Watch for the Wendigo. After my basic training, I was sent on a tradesman course and then to my first post. I was assigned to the Special Service Forces in Petawawa, Ontario, as a communication specialist since my job included fixing telecommunication equipment. I had a top secret security clearance. We trained hard when I was there and I was ready to go ahead. 
head with whatever enemy I would encounter in my missions. One day in December, we were transported via helicopter on a mountaintop close to Algonquin Provincial Park for a week of winter warfare courses. During this week of training, we each had to do guard duty at night. On one of those nights at around 2 a.m., I started hearing strange voices down the mountain. That night, the temperature was around minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. At first, I checked to see that everyone was sleeping in their tents. They were all accounted for. I scanned the area to see if I could locate someone. There was nobody there, at least no one that I could see with my military. Issue flashlight. I continued hearing those voices for a while. So I decided to call out to whoever was there. Hello? Who goes there? You're on a Canadian Armed Forces base. Identify yourself. No answer. I kept looking for whatever might be there, but I was still hearing those voices that sounded Asian. Some came from the right, others from the left. They seemed like they were having some kind of conversation. Since it was a training and learning exercise, we had no ammo in our weapons. Not knowing what to expect, I did the second. Best thing I could do. I fixed the bayonet and kept walking around the camp. The voices stopped after a while. I was wondering who in the right mind would hike into the wilderness for at least 20 miles in such miserable weather just to pull up a prank on us. That week they closed down the base two times because it was so cold. Of course, we stayed on a mountaintop. It was part of the training, they said. My replacement came after a while, and when he showed up, the first thing he asked me was what I was doing with the bayonet on my weapon. I didn't want to say I was hearing voices down below us. I told him it was so cold that I decided to do some drill movements to warm myself up. I don't know if he believed me. The next month, there was a huge military exercise in Wainwright, Alberta. The entire brigade ended up there. One day, I was going on a call with my partner to do a repair on a piece of equipment that was out in the middle of nowhere. We had been driving for about 45 minutes in deep snow and could not find the equipment. I was driving and decided to stop and check our location to find our target. My partner was looking at a topographical map while I was trying to see if I could locate a reference point. On our right, there was a forested area with pine and underbrush. On the left, there was an open field. At about a hundred feet from the tree line at my 10 o'clock position, there was a large white-tailed buck foraging in the snow. The deer was facing us and looking out in our direction. Then, out of nowhere, a huge creature blasted out of the tree line and aimed directly toward the grazing deer. It took less time for the beast to cover the approximate 100 feet of the deer than it took for me to tell my partner to look. The beast grabbed the deer by the head. It was taller than the deer by about two feet. It was reddish brown in color with very wide shoulders. The head was pointed and was set on the shoulders without a neck. The arms were long and muscled. The legs were like 55-gallon drums, and the body was covered with long hair. I wish I had more time to look at it and get more details, but everything went so fast. 
As soon as the beast reached the deer, it placed one hand on the top of the deer's head and the other at the back of the neck, then twisted it like it was a rag. Without even stopping it, headed back into the woods with the deer over its shoulder. I put the truck in gear and said, let's get out of here. My partner managed to find the trail leading to our destination and we found the equipment. When we made our way back to the bivouac area, my sergeant asked me if everything went okay. I told him. I don't know what I saw on our way to the other location, but it was pretty freaky. He looked at me and said that he didn't want to hear about it, so I kept it to myself and I walked away. As time went on, and as I grew older, I realized that I had witnessed a Sasquatch harvest that year. I had a nice career in the Army. I did some missions and went on several peacekeeping missions throughout the world. I saw a lot of strange animals and witnessed many unusual situations. But that beast in Alberta was the one that I will never forget.